0: Good morning, Grace Chapel. If you have children uh, between preschool and fifth grade, you can make your way towards the back doors. You'll be met there and escorted and taken care of really well. Um, how you guys doing? We're all good? We're all good? You, you're loving this weather? Yes. I can hardly wait for the fall. I mean, I'm like, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, this is about all I can take. Okay, so a week, I'm done. Um, hey, if, have you ever had a difference of opinion with someone? <laughs> of course, no, no, nobody here, I, I, absolutely not. A, a difference over what to believe, um, how to behave, uh, what to say, which direction to go. To do or not to do, <laughs> that is the friction, and uh, Scripture When we go to God's Word, it does not require you and I as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ to agree about everything. And all God's people said, amen. That's right. If we did, (laughs) some of us would be lying, (laughs) and of course, that's another problem. But the Bible does explicitly place expectations, uh, things we don't like to hear about sometimes. but The Bible places certain expectations on the way you and I go about disagreeing uh, with one another. Uh, Apparently, long-forgotten expectations, when you look around our world today, even in the Christian community, you see, it's okay to disagree. We're just not good at it. (laughs) But it's okay. Uh, And if you look at the Bible, which is why we're here on Sunday mornings, to glorify God and to receive from His Word… The biblical authors, even Jesus himself, seem to place a considerable amount of weight on the way we differ with one another. Um, there's this overarching theme that runs from Genesis right through Revelation, and it's a command, and it raises its, its head over and over and over again. It's a command that keeps our words and our actions in check with each other. We are called to glorify God with one mind and one voice. That's it. Do I get an amen for that? Does God get an amen for that? So be it. But the problem is so many of us, we don't use this filter. (laughs) We don't have a filter for our actions and for our voices. Um, And we'll get into this more today, but to obey God in this calling, which is so clear, it's not debatable, is to invite joy and peace into our family. To disobey God in this calling is to incite disagreement, discontent, and division in our family. And you all know what this is like even outside the church in your own families, your blood families, uh, especially on an extended level. There are certain ones of you who can't wait to go to grandma's house for the family to get together. And there are others of you who are like, I don't want to go to grandma's house to get together with the family. There's too much division. There's too much strife. We know what this is like, and it should not be in the church. Since its inception, the church, in Acts chapter 2, where Where God gave us the Holy Spirit to indwell every follower of Jesus Christ living inside of us, indwelling, the church has been called by Him to pursue unity. That's never changed. The power, the ability for you and I to be unified is indwelling each each of us. It's inside. It's there. But there is in my life, and I'm assuming it's in yours too, this sinful tendency to grieve the Holy Spirit and to go our own way. Paul says it so well in Ephesians chapter 4. I want to read that for you today. I'm going to be reading from verses 29 to 32. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. That says a volume right there, right? So that means sometimes I should probably not say anything but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, which means on some occasions you don't say anything because it doesn't fit, that it may give grace to those who hear. So that should be in the back of my mind all the time. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another. Come on, we can do this. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's pretty clear, isn't it? And when I experience this within the family of God, especially here at Grace Chapel, and it happens on a weekly basis, and I experience the good part, not the bad part. All right, i right, right, right. to be clear here, don't misunderstand me these good this good ending part it's it just unifies it brings joy it brings peace it's like ah this is what heaven's going to be like but probably way better jesus asked the father our father in heaven um, in his high priestly prayer as he pleaded and and was broken in the Garden of Gethsemane. In John chapter 17, verse 23, he asked for his followers to be made completely one. This is Jesus' prayer for us. Do you think God's going to answer Jesus' prayer? Just, Just throwing that out there for you to think about. To be made completely one so that the world may know. Know what? Jesus answers it that He was sent by the Father. I've, I don't often think of my oneness with all of you in this regard, and I should more, way, way more often. There's a connection between our oneness together and the world knowing Jesus, that He was sent from the Father. Do we want the world to know that Jesus is the Savior of the world? And all God's people said, yes, right? Isn't that mission one? This is why we're here. This is why when you got saved, you were indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God, not taken up to heaven. And it's done. Everything we say and do in life flows out of this truth, out of this witness. Our unity together showcases our Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter uh, one, one of those who specifically Jesus was praying for, remember He prayed that Satan wouldn't be able to sift Him? He sifted Judas, but not Peter. Peter in His first letter, 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 8, instructs all the, all the churches in Asia Minor, which we looked at when we went through our study in Revelation 2 and 3, some of these churches, to be like-minded or, as it says in the Greek, to have unity of mind. Where did he get that? Where did Peter get that? It starts with a J. Yeah, Jesus! He got it from his master, Jesus. And Peter gets it. Oh, he so gets it because he's one of those that are recorded for us that he messed up in this exact area when he visited the church in Antioch as a church leader, and he created a scene, a scene that had the Uh, ability to be disunifying in the the church in Antioch by caving into a Jewish fringe group's pressure and not eating publicly with Gentile Christians. This failure of ours can and does happen um, way too often, and it's such a big deal that Paul called out Peter for it in Antioch and said, you can't do this. This isn't right. Paul went on to write many, many letters that we have in the New Testament. One of them was to a Corinthian church in Greece, and it's in 1 Corinthians 13, 11. Paul says, I want you to become mature. What does it mean to be mature? Because most people think they are. To be of the same mind and to be at peace. That's a sign of maturity. I'm sorry, that's in second. I mean, I'm back up. I'm, I'm, my bad. My bad. 1 Corinthians 1.10, he says, be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. And then he challenges in his second letter to them to become mature, to be of the same mind, to be at peace. Yet you'll notice, as you go through the the Bible and you look at this idea of unity, you'll notice that the pleas of Jesus and of the apostles in their letters for for this unity of mind, it's not a demand for uniformity of thought. It's not a total rejection that within even just this church family that's gathered here for worship this morning, there isn't diversity, diversity of opinion and practices within the church. And this is really evident from Paul and speaks greatly to how we can kind of assimilate this unity that Jesus calls for, that the apostles talk about in in Romans chapter 14 and 15, which we have spent lots of time on in the past, going through these passages, but it's where Paul, who I just mentioned previously, where he called out Peter for this kind of uh, disunity that he was creating. And in Romans here, Paul attempts to head it off in the church in Rome, and he contrasts those who are strong with those who are weak in faith. The problem is, This is what I run into, even in my own life, is that everybody thinks they are the strong. Yeah, 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 I get that with the strong and the weak. Well, I'm one of the strong, so we desperately need more humility. But the weak that Paul talks about here in these two chapters of Romans describes Jewish Christians who have raised in Judaism, have now received and acknowledged Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And they had practical, cultural, philosophical differences with the Gentile Christians. Even within this room, there are so many differences. All the backgrounds, all the different denominations you all come from, you know, all this stuff. It's the same here. But they were to live in the same community, Paul said, they were not to start another church. Yeah, well, let's have a Jewish church, and we'll have a Gentile church, and there's a solution. That's a human solution. That's not God's solution. The weak here that Paul talks about, it's, this isn't about salvation. It doesn't appear, they don't disagree with the strong on the requirements of salvation, like Jesus Christ is the only way. Um, your works don't count towards your salvation. Um, Paul didn't accuse them of subscribing to any kind of a false gospel like he did to the Jewish Christians in Galatia in the, book of, in the letter to the Galatians um, who, who told the, the, Christian, the Jewish uh, new Christians that they had to adhere to the law of Moses for their salvation and they had to adhere to it to keep their salvation. This is not what we're talking about. We're not talking about the big things. It's not about the big things of the faith. Most of our disagreements aren't over the big things of the faith. But the weak, he tells us here, differ from the strong in their beliefs about what constitutes a mature Christian. This is where we disagree the most. They both seem to be working on the same page, but they have these different convictions about what, it, what is and what is not appropriate behavior for a follower of Jesus Christ. And Paul illustrates this for us, and it's really helpful when we talk about unity. Paul illustrates these differences in this church community in in Romans chapter 14, verse 2, where he says, the strong believe they can eat anything. How many of you now think you're the strong? Yes, everybody goes, yes, eat everything and anything, and lots of it. The strong believes he may eat everything, while the weak eats only vegetables can go where you want with that. (laughs) Romans 14, 5, Paul says, the week believes one day to be more important than another, and if these are Jewish Christians, that's probably Saturday, the Sabbath, whereas the Gentiles are celebrating Jesus' resurrection every week on the Sunday, and he says, and every day to be the same. Every day is holy. We worship God every day is holy, not just one day. So, there are differences And Paul doesn't say that these differences are bad or wrong. But if pushed with indifference, that creates disunity. And that's usually our problem. And then when you have that, that's how you get new denominations. That's how you get church splits. That's how you get leaving and going to a different church, thinking somehow it's going to be different. People might even avoid each other on a Sunday. Like, we've got three sections here today. We've got a section over here, and a section over here, and a section over here. So you guys, you don't get along with these guys, and you guys can't make up your mind. All right, so we got all these differences. Or you're really nice people who are kind of just trying to play the side, right? Get along. No, I'm just kidding. Paul ends his teaching about the ethics of disagreement. Within a church community, um, with it's amazing how he ends it. It's with a prayer. How perfect. This overriding intercession of prayer from, for the, from the Apostle Paul for the Roman church and for you and I. It's in Romans 15 at the end of the letter. He says in verses 5 and 6, May the God of endurance, where does our endurance come from? God. May the God of endurance and encouragement, how many of you need encouragement? I do. Grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, our Savior who prayed that we might be of that kind of harmony right before His sacrifice on the cross that would provide you and I harmony with God. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is our calling to fulfill. And Paul sees the unity here of these Jews and these Gentiles culturally within this one church family as the fulfillment of all the promises of God throughout the entire Old Testament. And you and I get to live this now. If we choose. And like these Jews and Gentile Christians, we have many differences. Do we not? We acknowledge that? We have differences. That's a fact. For instance, I'm from Canada. I know. But what that means is I'm strong. And I'm doubly strong because I'm not only born and raised in Canada, but I'm a citizen of the United States of America. I mean, I got you all beat. I mean, you you can't come. What's the national anthem, you hockey buffs? Can't oh well, Canada, the true north, strong and free. So there, there it is. Right. So, so I'm so what I'm saying is we have many, many differences. Politically, oh my goodness. If we all got in a political position here, I don't, I don't think we have enough lines pandemically — I think I just made up a word (laughs) — what we eat, what we drink, what we do for entertainment, how we choose to spend God's money, how we view the rapture of the church and the coming tribulation of the world. There is usually more than one way to do something, right? The problem is somebody thinks, yeah, yeah, there are, but my way's the best. Yeah. It's why inventors come up with all these new ideas, new and better ways to do things for some tasks. Is the old way wrong? No. You get to choose. You want to churn your own butter? Go right ahead. But don't expect everybody else to or look down on them because they don't. And for some of the prophecies in Scripture, there are more than one solid interpretation. And the application of God's Word to our lives, which we attempt to do here on Sunday mornings, to each of our lives, and and we're all coming um, at it from a different place where we're living right now, uh, uh, different stages in our maturity with God, or should I say our lack of maturity, um, are also different. And and it astounds me, it amazes me in a very, very good way how so often after delivering a message from God's Word, a faithful follower of Jesus Christ will come up to me afterwards and and share how God enlightened them through His Word that morning, and they'll share share with me the story. And often, I didn't see it that way. Uh, I didn't lead towards getting that kind of conclusion in someone's life as I spent the week preparing the message. But that was God's plan all along. That's so cool. We don't know, none of us knows the lifelong God-built-up wiring schematic that makes up each one of us. We've got to stop pretending we do or act like we do. We are complex creatures created in the image of God. But the good news is that we don't have to know. We just have to be faithful to the Word of God. We just have to glorify God with one mind and one voice. And we do that by the way we come together to praise God the name of the Lord, to honor Him and to obey His ways. And we do that regularly every Sunday. And some of you gather in smaller groups during the week to do that. But it's critical to note that Paul sees this kind of unity as something that only God can do and give to believers. Romans 15, 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you, grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. We cannot achieve this on our own merit and by our own sweat. Which brings me and brings all of us to the ending uh, consideration I want us to look at today. Christian unity, you and I coming together, is a gift from god for the glory of god it does not speak what a great church great grace chapel is it says what what a great god they serve so there's a question how do we pursue that kind of unity practically speaking despite our differences which we acknowledge we have and thereby glorify god which is what he wants The differences that Paul points out between the Jews and the the Gentiles over food customs and traditions that they were raised in um, are not identical to the differences between you and I today, but don't each of us bring traditions and customs and biases to the table? We do. And sometimes we're not even aware what those are until somebody who loves us enough points them out. And don't we sometimes acquaint these held beliefs to being on the level of Scripture itself? So, regardless, I think the same principles apply. So, first, what's my first response to a differing opinion? What's it going to be? Is it going to be emotional? (laughs) Am I going to get my back up? We have to pursue peace wherever we can. We have to be pursuing peace with like-minded brothers and sisters. If they're not like-minded, you pursue peace as best you can, as we read in Scripture. But it's really up to them whether they respond or not. And where is this unity space to be found? It's found in the gospel the gospel of Jesus Christ, there we pursue unity and tranquility and we are all in. All true followers of Jesus Christ share the same gospel message, which is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, that Christ died for our sins and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. It's non-negotiable. That's where we can determine truth about salvation from falsehood about our salvation. But we often, where we often disagree, it's about the implications of the gospel for our lives. How do we conduct ourselves in the church and in society as followers of Jesus Christ? And, and we can major on the majors and we can minor on the minors, but we can only do it if we can discern between the essentials and the non-essentials of the Christian faith, like what matters most. Our unity does not come from uniformity of thought, but our unity comes from having the same Savior, the same mission, the same love for one another. And that's the starting point, and that's a point that can serve to diffuse some of our differences. That's a starting point that can show the shallowness of some of our differences. And second, we should be accepting of differences in opinion on debatable matters. Not the essentials, but on debatable matters, just like Paul taught. And as Paul instructed them, and he instructs us, we can't get hung up undebatable, disputable matters. We just can't go there. It's, it's never-ending. It, there's never a solution. It's always just there, and you'll find yourself sitting over here and someone else sitting over there. We must address denials to the essential Christian doctrines absolutely, like the Trinity and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and salvation by grace through faith alone. However, we can't get contentious, and that's kind of the thing that's going on in our society right now is this contentiousness on matters that are actually not even really addressed in Scripture or matters where the meaning of Scripture is widely disputed. You know, were there three wise men because there were three gifts? Like, I mean, it's even in the song. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's like that kind of stuff. Many of the differences come from our, our own imperfections in interpreting Scripture. We are finite in our understanding. We have ignorance regarding all the historical details and background that went into some of the quotations of Scripture. We bring our own biases, as I said earlier, some of which we aren't even aware of. We bring our reasoning processes. Are you infallible? They could be faulty. And here's the big one. We too often bring our emotions out of control. Third, we should refrain from condemning those with whom we disagree on debatable issues. This goes for things in the Word and things out in the world. There's too much condemning going on. See, it's one thing to judge someone's opinion as incorrect and to say, I just think that's wrong. It's one thing to do that, and you've got every right to do that. It's quite another to condemn them for holding that opinion. This is not some slippery slope of uh, of, of a brand of relativism that says there is no truth on these matters. It's an acknowledgement that the building up of those for whom Jesus Christ died is more important than winning an argument if it's on debatable issues. Especially if it's over some cultural matter. Romans 14:15. For if your brother is grieved, Have you ever done that to a brother or sister? If your brother is grieved by what you eat, this has got nothing to do with the Bible, right? This is... You are no longer walking in love. Paul, I wish you hadn't written, wrote that down there. Why? By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. In these kinds of What Paul is insinuating, silly things that don't amount to much in the grand scheme of things, you are forcing your freedom and your rights on someone else. That's not right. You're destroying them. Does that mean that as a Canadian, if I'm out having lunch with someone who's, you know, in? got a jewish background that i sh- and they're they're opposed to it that i should not order bacon yeah that's what it means that's why i don't eat with jewish people I just, just fourth <laughs> let's move on because food's like it's touchy we gotta we keep that going Fourth, I guess there are four points today. So those of you who think that every sermon is supposed to have three points, we have a difference. There you go. There's one right there. Let's acknowledge, fourthly, that sometimes gentle, when you all hear that word, let's all listen again, gentle, private conversation is needed most of the times. It's the way I know I'd like to receive it. But not many, even in the church, are adept at giving this. There's a need for more people who are like that, who are adept at giving gentle, private instruction and even correction. And let's, let's humble ourselves to the fact that it's probably you and I who needs this regular centering. It's not everybody else. Because we always do that, right? We say, yeah, I wish I could just get alone with them, and the problem is somebody should be getting alone with you. (laughs) Luke's account, I love this, Luke's account of the conversion of a man named Apollos, it's found in Acts chapter 18. It provides us some helpful guidance as we go down this path of unity that we're instructed, commanded to, go down. It's, a, it's about a young believer, his name's Apollos, um, how he, can be in, he was encouraged in his giftedness and also at the same time gently corrected where it was needed. It's, it's, it's a wonderful story. So Apollos is this gifted guy you read about in Acts 18, he, and it says in verse 24 that he was competent in the use of scriptures. Awesome. Let's get him. Let's get him in our church, he was fervent in spirit, verse 25. He was bold in his proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, verse 26. And then Luke tells us, as he goes on, um, he was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus, even though he was teaching with a, and working with an incomplete information about Jesus. Up to what he knew and what he had studied, He was right on, but he was missing some stuff. That's in verse 25. Have you ever felt overwhelmed when you come to that realization that you don't know it all? Uh, Or that what you do know pretty well, not quite well enough. And those of you who don't, you may have another issue. Can I still proclaim Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world with my lack of knowledge? This guy, Apollos, gets top billing in the Bible. And so this mature couple in Jesus Christ, Aquila and Priscilla, they loved, they they heard him teaching, and they loved him enough to take him aside and gently correct him. It's it's this wonderful story. They they help him fill in the gaps in his knowledge which he hadn't learned yet. And I just love this because... (laughs) They did not contest him publicly in the synagogue. They hear him teaching, and they're like, wait, 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 Apollos. Well, actually, you know, they didn't do that. They didn't pull that one out. Instead, they saw his God-given giftedness in handling Scripture, and they wanted to encourage him rather than discourage him. we got enough people in our world who are discouraging. The church needs to be different. And finally, fifth, We got to remember that our gospel witness is on the line every time in the way we disagree with each other. This isn't about differences. This isn't about being right. This is about the gospel witness of Jesus Christ. It's open for everyone to see and everyone to evaluate. What the world needs now is God. And we got to be careful about what we say in the public eye about each other, especially in an age where everybody of every age has a a social media account and can see all of our business. The unbelieving world has access to our church squabbles and to our political rantings and ravings and dogfights. So what are they seeing? And I hear people say, I was just blowing off steam, I was just venting... um, And they excuse it as, I just had to, they made me. It's like, it's not an option for a spirit-led person. It's not an option. Vent in kindness. There's something to learn. (laughs) How do you do that? Vent in understanding, and more importantly, I think this is more important than all the rest, according to what God's Word actually says. Some of the stuff I'm hearing and seeing uh, everywhere, uh, uh, using the Bible as the backbone for what they want to say, it's like so off. It's so twisted. And yes, the way we handle our public disputes as followers of Jesus Christ does have an impact on the credibility of the gospel witness. As believers... You know, you and I should be able to express genuine love and concern for each other while also having the opportunity to give voice to our disagreements. And that's hard, isn't it? So hard. It's so hard that often I'll just not say anything. I'll pray really, really, really hard. But I'll just like, I don't, I don't want to step into that trap. That's going to take my leg off. It will require a tremendous amount of prayer, which is probably lacking. It will require countless hours of saturation in God's Word. Are you willing? It's about the gospel. It will require a consistent, humble disposition. Are you there yet? And Maybe that's the problem, those three. We lack this kind of a foundation across the board in the church in our country specifically. And I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not suggesting easy answers. Easy answers to every problem or every difference. It's just going to be wonderful. Uh, It's not going to hurt. I'm not going to be that doctor. (laughs) This isn't going to hurt. Yeah, it's going to hurt. In fact, every solution to a problem usually creates more problems. <laughs> Have you found that? You think, oh, I know what the answer is, and then it's like, oh no, now i got four other problems, because I created them. And that will necessitate finding more solutions. You know, in the mid-19th century, fire trucks were typically pulled by horses. Did you know that? No one here remembers that, right? Okay, good. And at the firehouses, the, the horses were kept downstairs, And the firemen uh, slept and ate upstairs. This led to a problem. Because when the guys were cooking their food up on that second floor, the horses would smell the food and would actually trot up the steps to check out what was on the stove. This led to a solution. And that was to install spiral staircases in all the firehouses. Yeah. It was too narrow for the horses to navigate, but that created a problem. Because 12 guys trying to get down a spiral staircase at 3 in the morning was uh, not efficient, it wasn't safe, and it wasn't quick. So this led to a solution. And it was a Chicago-based firefighter. His name was Captain David Kenyon. He's credited with the invention of the, the fire pole. Yeah, that's where that came from. It was faster, it was safer, it was more efficient, and kind of fun. Following Chicago's lead, the Boston Fire Department put one in, and pretty soon across our country fire stations had fire poles. You could say the idea kind of spread like fire. You see, our differences and our problems rarely come with a one-step-solves-it-all-for-eternity solution. Very rarely. The best solution to one problem will often present corresponding challenges in other areas of our lives and in our church it's why people avoid confronting problems and offering solutions because it's complicated relationships are complicated and they take tremendous amount of work so we as a church will continue to adapt to unity We'll continue to adapt because we want to reach our world for Jesus Christ. That's why. It's not about us. We continue to grow in the grace that God has afforded us through his riches that are in the heavenlies and in the glories through Jesus Christ our Lord. We will continue to to love and at the proper times confront gently, And then we'll confront the challenges that come from that confrontation and all the things that follow. And yes, there will be hurt and there will be rejection and some people won't get it. But that's part of being a member of any family. We all know this, don't we? We're all in some family, in a blood family. And there are issues and there are problems. And sometimes they're really, really hard to solve but we will, in unity according to God's word, solve whatever the evil one or anyone ever sends our way. Will we not? Will you rise with me? I want to close this in prayer and then worship our Heavenly Father in song. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. You alone, worthy of our praise, worthy of our adoration, worthy of our attention, And our sole goal is to glorify you by what we say now. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.